the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, a brand new week. I'm thrilled to be back. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, life questions, if my questions today are any indication, questions about what's going on in the world, all you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and as always if you are driving in your car the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen you'll be connected directly to our studio producer I got a lot on my heart today so I will get to that in a moment but let me uh, sort of make an announcement here just because I'm a I'm a glutton for prayer I need lots and lots of prayer uh, we announce this at our on our services yesterday, uh, we uh, received the keys yesterday to our new uh, building location. So now we're in the process of trying to prepare it uh, for uh, for our church to move from here to there. It's only about a half mile away, but it is about five and a half times as big. And believe me, we need the space desperately. So the Lord has been good, and I bring that up because I would just ask all of you to be in prayer for the next, I don't know, eight months, nine months or so. Uh, That's the time that we believe it will take to uh, do the construction that we're going to be doing in there uh, so that we can move. And we would covet your prayers uh, and your partnership. And I don't mean that in a financial way, obviously, but just through your prayers, um, um, we we want to partner with you in getting uh, into this building and uh, see what the Lord wants to do. So uh, I know a lot of you have been praying. I've talked about uh, the process. We've seen the hand of God move over and over and over again. 
Uh, and it's just so clearly this is where God wants us to be. And so that much is exciting. So thank you very, very much. Now, I also, we had some questions. Uh, you'll see the first three questions anyway are about what's going on in Israel. I know last week the Pastor Ken, I want to thank him, by the way, for filling in for me last week. Um, but um, uh, I know he had a, a call or two about what was going on in Israel. And I wanted to address it for a moment because we get, um, you know, mixed approaches, mixed perspectives on what's going on. So let me say a couple of things. I, I think first and foremost, uh, none of this should surprise any Bible-believing, Bible-studying Christian. Um, uh, this, these are the kinds of things that are predicted for the very end times. We're in the last days. Jesus himself said on several occasions, I'm going to quote it out of Luke chapter 21, uh, when you see these things begin to take place, lift up your head, your redemption draws nigh. Now, all of the things that he's talking about in the context of that passage are wars, rumors of war, nation against nation. Now, we don't see a nation against nation confrontation yet. We see a terrorist group who did this unspeakably horrific thing uh, in Israel. Uh, there is no justification. There is no um, explanation that, that should satisfy anyone. Um, what they did was murder, the most barbarous kind of murder. And by the way, it's a kind of murder that um, pagan nations did on Israel or against Israel when Israel was under the judgment of God. Now, make no mistake, Israel is protected by God, but they are also under the judgment of God, Israel today is an unholy place. We call it the holy city. And it is, it has been, it will be again one day. But but these are not believers. These are not uh, people serving God. Uh, Israel is a secular nation um, by and large. While there are practicing Jews, they are still outside of the covenant of God, the covenant that God has made with us through Jesus Christ and are separated by God or from God. And their hearts are harder and harder and harder. So we shouldn't be surprised that this is happening. Jesus said it was going to happen. Now, for the rest of us who are not Jews, we're not in Israel, understand that we look at the times and the seasons. Jesus said, uh, we know when summer is coming because we can see the signs around us. Well, we know when the end is coming. And Jesus is coming soon. And the ire of the enemy is going to be elevated, and that's what we see, and he's using all of the tools that he has to try to destroy Israel, a deed he will never accomplish. But this for us is just a word from the Lord that says, be ready. Redeem the time, making the most of every opportunity, is the way the Apostle Paul puts it. And when we are redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity, we're doing that uh, because there are people still who need to be saved. And that's why we who are believers, we ought to be more loving. We ought to be more forgiving. We ought to be uh, more active in sharing our faith. Philemon uh, verse 6. And in light of the times, the urgency has been ratcheted up 
we see these things happen. Now, I want to address a couple of things before I answer the questions. First and foremost, I was shocked. I mentioned in my message yesterday in the introduction that the response in this country, the United States of America, was alarming to me. I know this is not a Christian nation. I know our hearts are hard, and we too are in rebellion against God. But this is the nation that God chose. Ours, the United States, is the nation that God chose to be Israel's protector. Since 1948, when they came back into their homeland, after the sympathy of the world was with them because of the Holocaust, God used even that horrible thing. The United States has been... um, standing by to make sure that Israel had a homeland. Now, again, I don't mean to imply that the United States is doing anything for the glory of God. But now, no longer are we protecting Israel. In our country, on the streets, in college campuses, we find overwhelming numbers of people supporting the Palestinians, supporting Hamas, being anti-Israel, which is nothing more than anti-Semitism, which is always from the devil. And that's why we who are Christians ought to be supporters of the people of Israel. We need to evangelize them to be sure. But we need to support Israel. Jesus is coming back. He's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. Israel needs to be there. And we know that's going to happen. We know that's a promise that's given to us by the Lord. But the one thing that we've got to do is understand there is a line here. Israel will defend themselves. They should defend themselves. They have the right, the moral right, to do so. And we're going to see the media in this country start now blaming Israel when that response occurs. And it's going to start any day now. This is the worst day in Israel's history since the concentration camps closed. Since 1948, there's been nothing like this attack from Hamas. We also know that nations, I said earlier that Jesus said nation will be against nation. We haven't experienced it yet, but we know that metaphorically, Iran is warming up in the bullpen. They're the ones who funded this terrorist attack. And Iran to the north, and there's all a lot in the Bible prophetically about the nations to the north. Iran has partnered with Russia. Make no mistake, Russia will be involved in this if we take action against Iran. Russia has already made that clear. That sets the stage for Gog and Magog to enter the scene, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39. I have a question about that in a moment. I'll get a little bit more specific. So we can't be caught off guard. Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. And this ought to turn up the, 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 the spiritual fervor level in every single Christian's heart. And when we see in this country people who know about the Lord and have completely rebelled against the Lord, we see them not only supporting, but marching and chanting that support openly and publicly for Hamas and for the Palestinians. It demonstrates just how late in the hour prophetically we really are. 
So this is very important. As Christians, our job isn't to protest. Our job is to share Jesus Christ with people because the time is late. Jesus left us here to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's easy to get involved in a topic or in in an issue. But what we need to do is be about our Father's business. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of our Father in heaven. Our food, that which sustains us, ought also to be doing the will of God. I repeat, Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. And we need to be ready. Don't be caught off guard by the things that are happening. You need not be afraid of the things. Now, none of these things are pleasant. We certainly don't want to see war in this world. But we're there now. We're there now. Israel has always been the place that the world will center its attention on the closer we get to the return of the Lord. And here we see it. Now, I'll only comment briefly on a couple of things that I don't know very much about. But I can tell you this, I am stunned. I am absolutely stunned. And this is one of the reasons I believe that that, that the Lord is permitting this. I'm stunned that Israel had no intelligence, that they were completely caught off guard. I don't think um, um, Netanyahu will survive this. Uh, I think as he... Um, responds to the terror attack. He will have a a popularity surge, but it won't last. I simply don't believe that he can survive this intelligence failure. This is one of the biggest uh, disasters politically uh, and nationally for Israel uh, in my lifetime as a Christian. Uh, I'm absolutely shocked, and yet it demonstrates the power of the enemy. I told the church here yesterday that for the people that don't believe that the devil is real, all they had to do is listen to and watch on the news those people in this country, the United States of America, in full support of Hamas and the horrible terrorist attack and the horrible deeds that were done. I mean, these are the kind of things that Nebuchadnezzar did. These are the kind of things that uh, the Assyrians did. Um the Babylonians, the the Persians and the Medes. It's the kind of thing they were guilty of, and God judged them for it. And the people who are guilty, believe me, will not get away with anything. But we need to understand the urgency of the hour that we live in. So having said that, let me get to some of the questions that come in on it, and uh, I will await your phone calls, and of course, phone calls always take priority. Uh, The first question uh, is from Mickey. He says, Pastor Ron, what should Israel do in response to the attack? Um, Mickey, uh, what they should do isn't the issue. Here's what they're going to do. Uh, They are going to devastate the West Bank. They are giving all kinds of warnings to get people out, the elderly, the uh, the women and children, uh, to get them out. They're, they let everybody know they're coming. It won't be a surprise, but they are going to devastate the West Bank. In, in Gaza, if I, if I misspoke. Um, and the reason they're going to do that is um, retaliation. It's 
pure and simple. They are going to retaliate. It is not in their DNA to sit back and negotiate. Now, I understand that the United States, and this is shameful, but is pressuring them to negotiate rather than retaliate, rather than protect them or their people. Uh, But Israel is going to attack, and we're going to see that. And when they attack, then, of course, we're going to see the condemnation of the world, including the Western press. We're going to see the condemnation of the world fall upon Israel in this situation. So um, they decide what they should do. I'm just telling you what they're going to do, Mickey, and that's going to happen, I think, very quickly. Here's a question from Wade. He says, is there any chance for permanent peace in Israel, and should we take sides in this war? Wade, let me address the second part of your question first. Yeah, we should take sides. We are there for Israel. Now, I want, again, to be clear. Israel has nothing to do with godliness or holiness. But God has made a covenant with Israel, promises to Israel that have to be fulfilled. And we're to pray for the peace of Israel. Uh, You said, is there a chance for permanent peace only when the Prince of Peace comes? Until then, there will be no peace in Israel. There will be no peace in the Middle East. And there will be no personal peace for Jews. Only in Christ are those things found. But yes, we should take sides. Now, let's eliminate the Christian side for a moment. Every thinking person in the world regardless of where you were raised, every thinking person in the world should take sides against that evil attack. Babies being beheaded, old people being mowed down, Hamas going from house to house and killing people. Uh, I don't have it in me to watch the videos. Um, I've talked to some people who have. Uh, Every thinking person should be against that. It doesn't matter if you are anti-Israel. Every thinking person should be against that terrorist attack. And yet that's not what we see. So yes, we have to take the side of Israel. Uh, Israel has the right to exist. They have the right to defend themselves, to protect their people. As I said a moment ago, uh, to Mickey's question, that's exactly what they're going to do. So yeah, we are on a side We are definitely pro-Israel in this situation. Remember, if God doesn't complete his covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to David, then he doesn't have to keep his promises to us. Israel is a godless nation now. However, they're victims of this attack. They're not perpetrators. Nothing that happened was their fault. Here is a question. This one is from Angel. Uh, And Angel, this is a question I was asked yesterday at church a couple of times. Angel said, do you think the war in Israel could be the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39? Uh, I personally don't think this war is. Now, certainly I think this war sets the stage for Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, there's two thoughts on Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, I'll tell you which one I personally subscribe to. Uh, and yet, the, the, the other side, there's as many people who believe just the opposite that I do. I believe that Ezekiel 38 and 39 is going to happen after the rapture of the church. 
I believe that with all of my heart. However, there are people who believe that Ezekiel 38 and 39 will happen before the rapture and will, in fact, uh, hasten the rapture of the church. If they're right, if they're right, angel, then we're looking at a time even closer than, than I'm hopeful of. So here's what we have to understand. Ezekiel 38 and 39 will be fulfilled. I was talking with Paula while we were in California. And I said to her, I said, uh, you know, I, I don't think this is Ezekiel 38 and 39 beginning to be fulfilled here. However, if we start seeing um, Israel being um, uh, ganged up on, if we start seeing things look really, really bad for Israel, and if Russia and Iran get involved, we could see that happen. If that's the case, then um, we can watch and expect a miraculous delivery from the Lord because he's fighting for Israel. That's what Ezekiel 38 and 39 is all about. Uh, and if we see that happen, then then not only is the Lord's return imminent, but I mean it is right around the corner, and we need to be ready for that. But Angel, I do not personally believe this is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39. I just think it sort of is setting the stage for Ezekiel 38 and 39 um, in, in, in the very near future. But I, I personally believe that we Christians will be taken out of here uh, before, in fact, that happens. Here is a question from Anonymous from our email or from our mobile app. Hello, Pastor. Continued prayers for you, Mama Paula, and all of our pastors. Uh, is there or should there be a limit to Israel's response to Hamas? To Hamas? No, I, there, there should be no limit. Um, um, Hamas gets what they deserve, uh, and um, they're the ones that are endangering their people. You know, Hamas is using human shields. They're not concerned about the safety of their own people. Uh, they hide their weapons and 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 their missiles um, uh, in schools and in in medical facilities. So uh, no, I don't think there should be uh, a limit to Israel's response. I think it's none of our business, anonymous. I think that uh, Israel is going to do uh, as the Lord leads. Again, I want to emphasize they're not following the leading of the Lord, but remember it's the Lord who's at work behind the scenes. It's God who's working all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And uh, I think uh, without them knowing it, they're simply going to be doing the, the, the will of God. And I don't think there ought to be a response uh, to them at all. Here is a question. I think we're almost out of time in the first half. Uh, this is from Scott. Uh, was the use of the Urim and the Thummim, I have to say that slowly, Scott, that's hard for me to get out of my mouth, in Exodus twenty-eight thirty, like what we do uh, with a coin determining heads or tails, but with God in control of the outcome. Uh, Scott, I think that's a pretty good uh, analogy, a pretty good picture of what the Uman and the Thummim was, or the Urim and the Thummim. See, I told you I couldn't say it. Um, and, and basically, there were two stones. One, one black was no, and one white was yes. 
and um, um, the high priest was entrusted uh, with those stones. And when they wanted to uh, seek the will of God, um, uh, that's what they would do. It would be a yes or no answer kind of thing. Um, and and uh, you're right, it was God who is in control of the outcome. One of the things, now this isn't superstition, and this isn't like flipping a coin in the sense, well, it's 50-50. God always knew what he was going to do. And God promised to direct the steps of his people, and this is one of the ways he did it. Um, you know, when uh, Judas was replaced, uh, they cast lots, kind of the same thing, uh, and the lot fell to Matthias. Well, God was the one in control of that. And prior to the, the arrival of the Holy Spirit in the world, in Acts chapter 2, um, the best we could do is depend on the Word of God, the heart of God, and the, the, the promises of God. And so that's exactly what happened, Scott. Um, the high priest would ask, ask the question, and they would determine the will of God. Now, I also believe that there were times, it's just like us when we're seeking uh, an answer to prayer from the Lord. I think there are times when uh, the high priest couldn't discern the will of God, times when um, there was a lying spirit in control of the Urim and the Thummim. But um, we know that God is sovereignly in control um, anyway, and so I think I think the way you described it was pretty good, Scott. Exodus 28, verse 30 says to Aaron, Also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. I think that's the key to it, Scott. The high priest was God's representative. And this was God saying, These are my people and they're my heart, the apple of my eye. So you, high priest, better rightly represent me. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our program today. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our monday show 340-9585 i apologize i've talked so much that i left two people on the phone so let's go to reuben on line one from seguin reuben thanks for calling you're on the air appreciate your patience that's okay. I I I, uh, I can wait. Um, right now, I'm I'm having a my sugar is really really low, and I oh my I'm uh, I'm, I'm I'm sweating and 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 I don't feel good. I'm trying to eat something sweet to get it back up. Get, but, get, an, uh, get an orange. I, if you have an orange, take a big old bunch of orange. I, I don't have any. I, I don't have any fruit or anything like that. I'm, I'm eating some like nutty butter things. I don't hope it's chocolate and peanut butter. I hope it goes up. 
But um, the reason I called Pastor Ron is because I just I desperately need some prayer. Um, ever since my dad passed, like my entire family has just abandoned me, and I, I have nobody, absolutely nobody in my life. You know, no one, no one, and I just I feel so alone. And I just need prayer. Uh, God will just, you know, just, I mean, will just help me with everything that I'm going through. And I don't know if you remember that day I called you at the office and I told you what I was dealing with. Yep, I do. Okay, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm. Praying to God just to help me with that and let it go. Um, I can't. I can't think right now. We'll just, just pray for me, please. We'll pray for you, and so will a lot of people be, Reuben. Uh, before you okay. um, go away, just, just what I'd like you to do is listen to my answer. What I'm going to say to you, I'm going to say in love, um, and you know that. Um, but it may be a little bit hard for you to hear right now. So um, just listen and take it to the Lord in prayer. Okay, dear friend, thank you for calling. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, one of the things, Reuben, that I've, I've told you many, many times is that people are alone because they choose to be. Uh, your family's deserted you, that's fine. But, but you have been, for a lot of reasons, you've been out of fellowship uh, for a long time. Nobody has to do anything alone. First and foremost, the Lord is with you. And if you're not doing things that you ought not to do, the Lord is with you. And it's impossible to be alone when he's promised never to leave you or forsake you. The only time we're alone is when we've walked away from him. So repent and run back into the presence of the Lord. And while you may still be lonely, you won't be alone. And that's when you have to have the faith to respond uh, to really believe the promises of God. Secondly, this is why God has church. This is why there are people, like-minded, like-hearted men and women, that we can be around every single day. I wish you could have been around here yesterday, Reuben. Uh, we were packed, all of our services. Uh, people love to be here. Um, there's so much going on. Um, you need to find a church. I know it's not possible for you to get here. That's okay. I'm not trying to tell you that you've got to come to Calvary Chapel. But here's what I'm saying. You've got to find a Bible teaching, a Bible believing church and get involved. And that's God sets the lonely in families. That's what the church is. And you've got to make a decision that you're going to do something different than you've done. You've isolated yourself. And now you find yourself where you're a punching bag for the enemy. And that's why God says, that's the reason I have the church body. It's a family, Reuben. And while it's always painful to have our blood families turn on us, there are others who are closer than a brother. And those are the people in Jesus Christ. So Reuben, um, really, really deal with that. Really deal with that. Get something to eat. Probably something other than chocolate and peanut butter, although that's always good.
Let's go to Cindy online too. Cindy, thank you for your patience. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I don't really have a question. I just have a um, urgent plea uh, for prayer that we should be praying that uh, with the hostages that there'll be Christians mixed in with them and that they'll be getting witness to and they'll have another chance to accept Jesus as their Savior. I am just so terrified that they probably, the hostages probably won't get out of there. So I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will come to them and praying that there'll be Christians around them that can can encourage them to accept Jesus before before they can't. And that was pretty much all I had okay. you know, to, uh, to say. So I'll just get off the radio and listen to you. Welcome back. Glad you're back from <laughs> out of the clutches of California. Yeah. Bye. Thank, thank you, Cindy. God bless. You know, one of the things that we can always depend on is that God has a remnant everywhere. God always has his people. And I promise you there is the voice of the Holy Spirit um, palpably with those hostages. There's somebody who's going to be there to share. And if there was nobody, well, we know God can make donkeys talk. So God loves those people. We don't have to worry about uh, whether or not there's a witness. All of those people have heard about Jesus Christ. And in their fear, this is a time, and here's, I think, what ought to be the direction of our prayers. Lord, let this fear turn into a fear of God and dying apart from God. Open their hearts and draw them to you. It's what God wants to be done. But remember, salvation doesn't depend on any human being. Salvation comes from and is initiated by the Lord himself. And, uh, you know, we have reports, especially in the Middle East uh, and in Muslim countries, Africa, places where um, when people die um, for for converting to Christianity, um, God shows up in in supernatural ways, miraculous ways. And he's going to meet those people and they're going to be given a choice. And what they do with that choice then is what they're going to have to live with. But we we ought always to keep those hostages in prayer. I, too, uh, fear for their lives. Um, All I can say is that the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of their hearts, and we can know that for certain. Thank you, Cindy. Always love and appreciate your heart. Here is a question. This one is from... Uh, I think it says anonymous. I can't see a name. Um, Pastor Ron, can you help me harmonize the events and outcomes in Exodus chapter 34? In this chapter, God uh, tells Moses that he will write on the second set of tablets the words that were written on the first tablets. Um, That's Exodus 34, uh, verse 1. But then he says in verses 10 through 27, God then goes on to establish his covenant with Israel, and seemingly ten new. And and uh, the, the, the questioner has new, in quotes, uh, new commandments that are given, different from the originals listed in Exodus 20. In Exodus 34, 28, this covenant is called the Ten Commandments. Um, since God gave Moses new, again in quotes, commandments in this Exodus 34 covenant, what does that mean for the original ten and seemingly different commandments in Exodus chapter 20, 
Additionally, verse 1 says God will write the words of the first tablets. And verse 28 says that the new Ten Commandments were written on the tablets. Then what is the outcome? Do the second tablets contain both sets of commandments? Uh, Exodus 20 and 34, meaning that there are technically more than 10. Have the second 10 commandments technically replaced the first? Are both sets technically the same, but communicated differently? I know scripture is God-breathed and infallible, so how do you make sense of the happiness chapter 34? Uh, Anonymous, you're you're really misunderstanding, getting confused uh, about what chapter 34 is. God is replacing the original Ten Commandments, and those are the commandments that he's writing on the tablets that Moses has. The the same ones from Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 34 deals with the covenant that God has made, the promises that God has made. So there are not new commandments in the sense that they're new Ten Commandments. They're not new at all. Um, The the covenant promises, uh, God is saying, look, if you live the way I told you to live, then you will be blessed. And and that's what Exodus chapter 34 is all about. So he's not writing new commandments at all. He's writing the same ones that were initially on the stones that were broken when when Moses came down and saw the golden calf uh, worship and orgy going on. But he wrote the same Ten Commandments on those two tablets of stone. And to set it up, he simply renewed the covenant promises of Israel. And it's just so gracious, so wonderfully. Uh, you know, God says he's compassionate. He's um, uh, slow to anger and abounding in love. Um, you know, it would be easy if you were Moses to think, in fact, Moses and God had this conversation. It would be easy to think that, that uh, well, God's abandoned us now and abandoned the promise he made to us because of, of our golden calf episode. And God is simply renewing the covenant. He's being very, very gracious. So what you see in Exodus 34, he didn't write on those stones. The only thing on those stones were the original Ten Commandments. And I'm not exactly sure how you got confused with that, but that is exactly what's going on. So thank you very, very much for that. Here is a question. This one is from our email inbox, Anonymous. I get questions about this a lot. Uh, In Matthew 27, verses 52 and 53, the New Living Translation says that people came out of the tombs. None of the other Gospels speak about this. Why would Matthew want to include this since his Gospel was for the Jews? And what is the significance of the uh, event that is happening? I've attached the scripture for reference. Let me read it to you. It says, And the tombs opened, the bodies of many godly men and women, who had died, were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. You know, this is the one mention in our Bibles of this episode, and it always causes a lot of confusion. Um, because none of the other Gospels speak about it, it's just just mentioned by Matthew. And as you indicated, Matthew's is the most Jewish of all of the Gospel accounts. And the purpose of Matthew is to present Jesus as the Christ or the Messiah that God had promised. Now, what happened in Matthew chapter 27? Um, we won't really have the whole story until we get to heaven and find out. But the tombs opened, 
and then until Sunday morning when Jesus was raised from the dead, um, we we have no indication of what those godly men and women did. Were they just kind of hanging around or were they waiting uh, for Jesus? Um, um, they were raised to life. They just wait until God gave them instructions. We don't know. But here's what I think is going on, Anonymous. Uh, I think God sent these godly men and women. Now, we don't know who they were. They could have been men and women from the past. It could have been Samuel. It could have been um, um, uh, Moses. It could have been Abraham. It could have been any of those. Or it could have been just normal people who were godly men and women who had died in the recent past who would have been known by the people in and around Jerusalem. And when they came to life and went back into the city after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they became evangelists. They became preachers. And what I believe, and this is my opinion, and there's no way to to validate it because there's no information that we're given. But I think this was God fertilizing the ground for Acts chapter 2. We know that 3,000 men and their families got saved on the first day of the church. Acts chapter 2. How many of those people do you think were struggling with, well, I saw this person and I know that he was dead. I know he was he loved God, but, but now he's alive. I saw him. And we have no indication whether they remained alive or whether they immediately went in the presence of the Lord. We don't know. But here's what we know. We know that 3,000 men their families were ready to receive Jesus Christ when Peter preached that magnificent message. So that's all we know. And um, speculation about anything more than that, I think, uh, really has very little value at all, Anonymous. So um, that's what what it says. We'll get the whole story. We get there, but we don't know who they were. All we know is that they were godly men and women. And can you imagine their surprise when they found themselves alive? after Jesus' death. Kind of like Lazarus, only they had to wait three days to go in and start telling everybody what happened. Could be a little bit of a picture, too. 144,000 Jewish evangelists, supernaturally empowered, are going to be let loose all over the earth at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. And they're going to lead the greatest revival in the history of the world. So maybe there's just a little foreshadowing there as well. We just don't know any more than that for sure. Great questions. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Lionel. He says, do you think it's fair that we get punished for Adam's sin? I've never heard a pastor address what seems to me like an injustice. Um, Lionel, nobody gets punished for Adam's sin. You know, when when I'm not when I wasn't saved, um, uh, I would have stood before God for my own sin. You know, when I stand before God, Lionel, when you stand before God, when you stand before the Lord, and He asks you to give account of your life, He's not going to ask you to give account of anything that Adam did. He's going to say, look, you did this and you knew you shouldn't. You did this and you knew you shouldn't. Um, You did this and I warned you not to do it. And so you're going to stand before the Lord 
for your own sins. You're responsible and accountable for those things. So that you consider that an injustice. Adam fell. Now Adam is our federal head. That means we inherited his sin nature. But make no mistake, Lionel, you still have the free will to choose to give in to the sin or to reject the sin. It's your choice. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But it's only for your own sin, not for Adam's. Now here's the injustice. Let me explain this to you. Jesus is also called the second Adam. In other words, he's also our federal head, our representative. And what was unjust is Jesus going to the cross and taking the punishment for your sins, Lionel, and mine. He took the punishment so that we didn't have to, so that we could be forgiven when he gave up his spirit, those who believe. Though our sins were scarlet, suddenly we find ourselves white as snow. That's not just. That's what grace is all about. Thank you for the question, Lionel. Here's a question from Albert. When should a Christian not take communion? Albert, um, I think a Christian should always take communion. Um, I will say that when we are in willful sin and we have no intention of stopping it, then we ought not to take communion. That's trampling on the grace of God. But even when you're guilty of sin, all you have to do is say, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Now, keep in mind, God can't be mocked. You know, we can't say, well, I won't take communion. And so, I'm sorry, God. And then we, we, we're already planning to go right back into the sin. But 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 we should always take communion. That's why we give them a moment in communion here on Sundays to examine our hearts. And I'm very direct when I tell people, Albert, that take these couple of minutes to examine your heart, get right with God, and plan to stay right with God. And I let people know that it is not healthy, spiritually or physically, to partake of communion in an unworthy manner. That's what Paul says. And so a Christian should not take communion when we are in willful, unrepentant sin. But the good news is, if we confess our sins, that is to agree with God about it, if we repent, then he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And we have perfect standing, righteous standing with the Lord all over again. And in that moment, we can come to the table of communion with even a more grateful heart. So, Albert, I hope that's pretty clear. Um, If you are in willful sin, you need to deal with the question, why? How did things get the way they are? And when are you going to come home to the Lord? When are you going to repent? Speaking of reoccurring sin, this is from Kirk. He says, I struggle with reoccurring sin. Uh, why can't I stop doing it? Well, Kirk, the, the it's Kirk with a K. Um, Kirk, you can't stop doing it because your faith has failed. It's unbelief. You don't think you can. And yet God's word promises us that sin shall no longer be our master. If you're being controlled by sin, 
you're not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So here's what you got to do. You got to decide that you hate that sin. You know, Kirk, every time we sin, and especially these struggles that we have with the, with, with the same sins over and over and over, um, we've got to get to the point where we truly hate the sin. Now, I know we hate the way we feel after we give in to it, but, but that's not hating the sin. Hating the sin is saying, I want to get so far away from the sin. What did Joseph do when seduced by Potiphar's wife? He said, how can I do this thing and sin against God? That's where we need to be when we are tempted. Kirk, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Memorize it. It'll only take you a couple of minutes to memorize it. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. It doesn't say Kirk is faithful. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. That means you don't have to sin. And Kirk, here's where you got to be honest. When you give in to that reoccurring sin, you've got to be honest enough to say, Lord, truth is, I love that sin more than I loved you. At that moment, I was being tempted. And you got to really believe what the Word says. You never again have to sin. Now, we're going to sin because we're humans and we're weak, but the reoccurring sins, the things that, that, that really trap us. Those are willful choices we make to reject the presence of the Lord. And I can promise you, whatever this reoccurring sin is, you wouldn't do it if Jesus were in the room with you. And what you've got to understand is that he is in the room with you till you kick him out. It's just not okay to keep on sinning. And if we'll be honest enough to say, Lord, this is on me, you know, the people that say, I'm struggling or or I, I need God to deliver me. God would say, I've already delivered you. I've already given you the power to change. And the reality is, unbelief has kept you from accessing the power to change. So, Kirk, do better. Not in your own strength, you don't have any, but in the power of the Lord. If you do, then you'll have victory over the sin. Here's my last question for today. Flora says, A pastor in my church regularly, almost weekly, prophesies, saying that God has told him this or that, and he's almost always wrong. Should I approach him on the matter? Flora, yeah, you should. Thank you for calling her for, for the question, Flora. It reminds me of our dear Flora, who is in Germany right now. Um, yeah, you should approach him. Do it in love, but don't expect that he's going to change. There are no prophets today, and the pastor that is doing this indicates that he really doesn't understand the word, and the church that you are a part of is not a healthy church. It's that simple. There's no commitment to the word of God, and it's not a healthy church. So approach him, do it in love, but also be prepared to go find a new church that really teaches and understands the Bible. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate your patience. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks 
for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.